This is the book of Joe. My book. Let's go deep inside where the sea People stop reading the Bible. Let's open up the Exodus 28-11. They don't understand it. Glory to God. There are so many promises in this book. We got to get back to telling the truth. John 16, 33. I told you to sing so that you may have peace. Nah, I'm not a minister. <laughs> you can't hand down your faith. You got to get your own. Now people just need to see it from a different perspective. God really is good all the time. God says, if he loved me, keep my commandments. I first ask myself, who's speaking? Did you reach your and then everything sounds different from there. But God does not lie. I'm Joe, and this is what I found in the Bible. All right, y'all. So today we're going to get into the book of Deuteronomy 28. Um, so while you guys are flipping to that, I want to just let you all know that... Um, before I study any biblical text, I like to research the speaker and the author. And I do this because my background, my educational background is in theater, and that's helped me apply deeper meanings to the text of the Bible when I understand the Bible like it's a screenplay or like a script. So that's actually how I discovered that Moses had a speech impediment before anybody told me because I didn't grow up in, in the church and I didn't grow up reading the Bible at all. All right, so before it was even revealed to me by my fiance, um... I was reading Genesis for myself and I sensed that the author was overwhelmed by God and that his thoughts were getting jarbled and like literally gushing out of him before he could even dissect them or process them. And then that's when Purnell had told me that I was onto something because Moses had a stutter. And so I looked that up and in Exodus 4.10, Moses says that he thought faster than he spoke, which is why he calls his tongue slow. And a lot of people who have a speech impediment like stuttering say the same thing, that I'm thinking faster than I can say it, right? So the words kind of back themselves up behind the tongue. And so um, so for me, reading the Bible is like a script and it's really helpful in my walk and my understanding of it. So I say that to say that God will use your authentic self in your journey for his good, okay? I mean, I'm telling you right now, the people who told me that theater was a silly major and that it was a waste of my college experience knew what God was doing for me with that degree. Let me tell you, okay? Um, so just to put it into a little more context, because I want to get into the actual word, but I want y'all to know that I received this assignment on August 4th of 2020. I'm recording it now because God um, placed it on my heart to do this podcast. Um, and so I wanted to make sure that everything that I had done leading up to the podcast was also recorded as I move forward. Right. But, um, I have to give y'all the, the backup to this, the back, the backdrop, right? Because like The Shack, which y'all know is my favorite movie, or if you don't know, now you know. And it says in The Shack, if anything matters, then everything matters. And I, I agree with that. So let me put this moment into perspective for you, right? So in uh, I get this assignment on August 4th of 2020. And um, <laughs> it's important that I paint myself first as a student while I teach, you know, because I'm sharing, but I, I have to also let y'all know that I'm studying too, right? So I was on this spiritual high because the night before August 4th, my son had got saved and he requested a bat a baptism in our tub, all right? Now, this is big because me and my son are not part of a specific church, so there was nothing influencing him to get baptized, okay? Y'all have to understand that, that this is God talking to my baby, 
All right. So what's significant is that he didn't ask me if he could get baptized. He basically told me to schedule it for either next week or the end of the month. Right. And so after a legend planted the seed of baptism in me, um, this was a month ago or so. He had forgot he even said it. I remember he asked me, Mommy, have you ever been baptized? And I was like, no. And I didn't think about it up until he asked me. So the next day I asked him and he totally forgot about it. And I was like, okay, God, I, I see you. I see what you're doing, right? So now this is sometime after that. And, um, you know, we're in the bank and he's like, Mommy, um, you know, when are we getting baptized? And so that's when he told me he wanted to be baptized and he wanted to be baptized uh, the following week, right? So we've watched movies about it and um, and we worship a lot. And even we, we share like the nightly visions that God gives us. But in all of that, I hadn't baptized, I haven't, hadn't even thought to baptize my son, right? And I was speaking to one of my big sisters about my own baptism, which I had scheduled for the night of my wedding. And um, in my vision, it was just me and Purnell. But in her vision, she could see legend. So I was like, does my son need to be baptized? And I said that I would never ask him to do so, but I did hope that he, he would want to. And um, in time, with my thoughts of him, he ends up setting his own date. So, like, when I get this assignment, I am on fire for God, right? Understandably so, because my child has come to me about a thing that is uh, uh, demanded in the Bible that I had no idea of until he told me about. And that he wanted to do for himself without even me influencing him to do so. So it was really big. Right. So then the next day after my God, um, after my son gets saved, my God, he wakes me up at 2:22 in the morning and I'm like, you know, I need to sleep. But I'm 100 percent sure that God gave me a Bible direction using the time clock. So I interpret it as Second Corinthians 22. Right. It's I don't know Bible enough. Right. So I don't even know that Second Corinthians uh, 22 doesn't even exist. Right. So but I'm thinking that because of what little knowledge I have about it. So I clicked uh, into the into the browser of my phone and I put in Second Corinthians 22. But I was brought to this 22nd chapter of Proverbs and the verse uh, six. So I immediately knew that that meant six is two plus two plus two. Right. And so I read train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is older, he will not depart from it. And I took it like the receipts Amazon gives you when you purchase the thing. It was like confirmation that legend's name had reached heaven. And I was so hyped, y'all. I swear to God, I was so hyped. I don't swear to God, but y'all know what I mean. Right. So part of me was like, you know, this is a personal thing. But the other part of me was like, if getting into heaven isn't something to sound off about, then you shouldn't even post anything about legend ever again on social media, Joe. Like I had to talk to myself about that. So I posted it. Right. And then after the post, I spoke with my big sister um, who delivered my assignment from who I call my big, big sister. Right. And it was to speak on Deuteronomy 28. So I didn't start right away. Right. The post I wrote before about legend was about, you know, the people of God um, and their work in this country being like the lighter fluid and hope being like the matchstick. And that post made me think of the Hebrew um, or the word Hebrew, since I call myself a new Hebrew. And it made me um, it made me want to make sure that the Hebrews were one still an existing people and not just a language. And I was curious to know if the Hebrews had converted their existence to the term Jewish or not, because I know that they're associated. So FYI, they're not the same. 
All right. And I feel good about that. But I feel Hebrew. And so I relate to the Hebrews. I feel like that in my reading. So I'm going to teach myself to speak it and all of that. But in that research, I discovered that there's a Hebrew scriptures. And I didn't even know it was a thing. You know, so sure, I know there's a Bible and I know there's a Torah and I know there's a Quran and um, there's other scriptures. But I didn't know that there was a specific thing called the Hebrew scriptures themselves. Right. So the Torah is actually one third of the Hebrew Bible called the Tanakh. Right. And the Tanakh is an acronym for the three books in it. So one is the Torah and it contains the five books of Moses called the Pentateuch. Right. And the second is the Nevi'im. Right. And that's for the prophets. And the third portion of the writings is called the Ketuvim. Right. And um, in my discovery of this, I, I discover a company seeking to, you know, offer the original Hebrew scriptures in full by next year. So I pre-ordered it because I'm like, I'm on this journey. I want to I want to see the original translations. Right. So um, this will all make sense in a second. Y'all bear with me. I'm, I'm going to get into it, but I have to set y'all up. Right. So after I order my Hebrew scriptures, I received this assignment. And while I would never tell God no, I definitely was trying to figure out how to tell my big sister and big, big sister no. You know, I was like, I can't even spell the name of this book, Deuteronomy. You know, Deuteronomy is due to run all over me. Right. <laughs> you know, so here we are, though. Right. My husband um, to be teaches me or te he always teases me about my my determination and overwhelming desire to help others and he calls me never say no joe right turns out joe my name is hebrew for the word yes so i am joe and i say yes and i am here right so now i get busy and I type in Deuteronomy into google and what does it say it says the book of deuteronomy is the fifth book of the jewish torah where it is called the Devarim, right? The words of Moses. So chapters 1 through 30 of the book consist of three sermons or speeches delivered to the Israelites by Moses on the plains of Moab, all right, shortly before they enter the promised land. So Moses is the author of Deuteronomy. And it's a book of sermons, and it's delivered to the Israelites before they touch down in the promised land. And it's also a part of the Torah, which I just learned about. All right, it's preceded by the book of Numbers. So what does Google say about the book of Numbers? The book of Numbers is the fourth book of the Hebrew Bible, and it's the fourth of the five books of the Jewish Torah, right? And the book has a long, complex history. Its final form is possibly due to the priestly redaction of a Yahwistic source made from some time in the early Persian period, all right? It also says on Google that the name of the book comes from the two censuses taken of the Israelites. Numbers began at Mount Sinai, where the Israelites have received their laws and covenant from God, and God has taken up residence among them in the sanctuary, right? So God is with them, right? And the task before them is to take possession of the promised land. So notice how biblically we say the land God gave them, but in our carnal bodies, that truth is the equivalent of taking something by use of divinity, which sounds the same, but it isn't, right? I had to stop there and Google, all right? So because it says take, I didn't read Joshua just yet, but I know or I'm going to use my brain and spirit to expect the Hebrews to be met with a task they can't do alone, to be outnumbered when they get to Joshua, right, to fight. 
And that requires God himself to get the job done on their behalf. That's how come it's the land God gave them. And that validates the scripture and wording and phrasing that says it's the land that is a gift from God, the land that God had given them. But that's a sermon for another time. I, um, I have a lot to cover, so I just wanted to, you know, set y'all up. So Deuteronomy is followed by the book of Joshua. And so then I look up the book of Joshua and then it says there that the book of Joshua is the sixth book of the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Old Testament. And it's the first book of the Deuteronomistic history, the uh, story of of Israel and the conquest of Canaan to Babylon exile. So the book of Joshua also is uh, spelled Josu and the book, uh, the sixth book of the Bible, which is a along with Deuteronomy and Judges and et cetera. And it talks about that too. And then it says that um, the book of Joshua takes forward Deuteronomy's theme of Israel as a single people worshiping Yahweh in the land that God had given them. And then Yahweh is the main character of the book. And it takes the initiative of conquering the land. um, And Yahweh or Yehovah or God's power wins the battles. All right. So Deuteronomy... I need to let y'all know is the setting uh, or the setting for Deuteronomy is after the Israelites honor their great lengthy heritage in the book of Numbers, right? So they know who they are now, right? And now knowing who they are, they enter the teachings necessary to establish a way of life, right? With Moses and his sermons in Deuteronomy. Then they must create, establish, and protect that lifestyle in a new land that they've been given, given, right? So this is the setup and the formula. Now that I understand what's happening, I can go ahead and read, right? So here's my interpretation of Deuteronomy 28. Here we go. As I read the chapter, I type the words and I begin to set the scene in my mind. I think of the Bible as a play and most art imitates life, right? And we are the characters perfectly casted for the truest and most complete story, right? So before this moment, um, before the lesson, right, that I'm going to really get into, I want y'all to know a few things. First, Jesus, Yeshua Mashiach, is not here yet, right? They don't have his name to call him by it. So take note that this is the Old Testament with nothing standing in the gap between the people and God, except for God's laws, right? And then the second thing I want you to remember is that while Moses is speaking of a blessing in the beginning of the sermon, it is only to paint the picture, right? Because the purpose of the sermon is not to, um, not to get their hopes all up, right? The, uh, the purpose of the sermon is to state the facts that are, that, that are coming to prophesy, okay? And the truth of the sermon really makes Moses a bearer of bad news at first, so, but, um, so the Hebrew, you know, the Hebrew are like fickle in their faith. And so he has to kind of like give it to them sweet at first and then break it down to them because the truth is the truth, but they may not be so happy to hear it. Right. And then the third thing is, is that Moses is the Moses that's speaking to them already knows how God gets down with disobedience, right? This is the same Moses that struck the rock to make the water flow in the drought instead of speaking to it in the previous chapter, which is Numbers, chapter 2011 in Numbers. So that act left people thinking that Moses had a magic stick and not a powerful God. And for that mistake, Moses lost his admission ticket to the promised land. So Moses is fully aware that the people he is speaking to are just like him. They wrestle with their faith and their natural way of existence, right? And that makes the Ten Commandments really hard for them to keep, basically impossible, 
right? So knowing this, he knows I'm writing laws that are impossible for my people to achieve without some miraculous faith, right? So he himself has failed to reap the harvest of being truly obedient. And while he is honored to have this position, I don't think he's happy to have messed up. And now if he... um if he messes up, then he's certain that the Hebrew will, right? And judging from the way that uh, they begged to go back to Egypt because the food ran low, right? And they had that calf made in worship before Moses could even come back down from the mountaintop. And so Moses is not really comfortable with this assignment that God has given him. And this sermon has him preaching with a bit of agitation because he is both empathetic to the people, but he's also obedient to God. So to be both means to have a broken heart every time because somebody's not going to make it. You know, while God is a, a blessing, God, while God is blessing um, for the process and the use of you, uh, you still have to feel some type of empathy for the people, you know, who are going to reap the, the, the negative effects of this. Right. So this is the same Moses that was able to change God's mind for the sake of the people in Exodus chapter 32, verse 14. That verse is vital because it is about God having a chill button. You know, a lot of people want to think that God is is a bully, but he has a chill button. And the value of relationship building is also in that verse, that God values uh, a give and take with us, right? So by Moses being friends with the boss of heaven, right, he's honored, but simultaneously aware of the incompetency of, of the co-workers, right? It's like God is the, the boss, but then his co-workers, um, God is confiding in him and telling some of them or telling Moses, some of your co-workers are going to be fired. And so that's a good way of seeing this because the Hebrews were given a job, right? And they were all underqualified for the job. So God is going to replace them for their own good though, right? It doesn't sound good for them, but the truth is he's replacing them for their own good, right? So Moses is not excited to have to preach this prophetic word, but it has to go forth, right? Because it is the reason for the Messiah, right? My homie, Yeshua, Jesus, Jesu, you know what I'm saying? It's for him. My guy is on the way. And so Moses knows that is the purpose uh, for this account taken in numbers for the entire Hebrew heritage that came before this chapter. It is the purpose for the stuff that they need right now. These sermons are perfectly placed um, for the Hebrews to take on the fight that's coming in Joshua. So just imagine with me for a second. You know how um, a war general gives a morale speech before uh, a battle against the odds? Or even better, like a basketball coach does the same thing when they're down two, Right? The, the star players are down. They're down two star players and 20 points, right? With three minutes left. So he calls the final timeout to talk to the squad. Deuteronomy 28 is a fourth quarter, two-minute warning. It's a huddle speech, right? To the losing team at the football playoffs, right? This is the kind of speech that's less, the, less about winning and playing hard to win for your sake but more about playing to lose in dignity, to die in glory, and to make it count for a righteous reason, reason, which is for the sake of those who believe in the game's bigger picture, like you do, right? So that is this moment, kind of. Moses knows, Coach Moses knows, that these people will not reap their harvest, not even their children will. And we're talking 40 years before there's even some hope. But it must be, if it's going to be. Get it? It's got to happen if it's going to happen, right? So today's word is called, the good news is we're all going to die. 
Father God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you right now for what you are doing in my life. I thank you for my use. I thank you for bringing me forward in this uh, matter. But speak through me, Father God. Use this time to address your people from your heart, from your way, and from your will. Let my words help them better understand how much you love them so much. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right. So Deuteronomy chapter 28, I'm going to take you verse by verse because I don't want you to miss it. And I feel like people get uh, Deuteronomy, get into Deuteronomy and Revelation and get scared. But God is so good. So listen, verse one, if you fully obey the Lord, your God and carefully follow all his commands, I give you today, the Lord, your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. Right. And so it says also. In the, in the King James versions, it shall come to pass. So when it says that, it means that this is a setup for prophecy, confirming that Moses already is aware of the plan, which is how we confirm what is being said is just to apply hope and elevate the severity of the loss that is inevitably necessary for the Hebrews, right? In order for God's will to be done, right? And it says in the King James, if thou shalt hearken, listens, right? If you listen diligently to the voice of the Lord, thy God, Yeshua, Jesus, all right, to observe and do, which means obey. That's how you obey. You observe and you do it. All his commandments, which I command thee today, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all the nations of the earth. So he's saying this with full knowledge that they will not be able to do it, all right? Yet, we still say it because the true reason for this is to ready them for it and to do so with love, right? Verse two, all these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. King James, all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee. And I like overtake better than accompany because I want the blessings to make my steps slow, right? Like I can't like not jog alongside me. You know, I want my what my blessings to weigh me down, right? But that's just me, all right? And it also says in King James, if you hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, right? So the word voice is important here, and it's not in the other version, but it's important here because we can listen to the law, but with the voice, right? But the voice will have us listen to the law in action and actually apply it, right? So also note that... Um, shall is italicized in the KJV and that is um, a way to further support the prophetic word going forth it's saying it will in an emphatic way right so one for uh, one for the hope that Moses has and two because God's word is final right all right so let's keep going verse three you will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country verse four the fruit of your womb that's poetry, meaning your children. All right. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks, your basket and your kneading trough where you leave your bread to swell up will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns, which is also storehouses. So remember that. And on everything you put your hands to, the Lord, your God, will bless you in the land he is giving you. 
right? The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath. Let's stop there for a second. The oath was to Abraham and Jacob to make their people a great nation and bring them to a land God promised them. So they were aware of this oath already. These people that he's talking to, when he says oath, they know exactly what he's talking about. That's Genesis chapter 28, 13 through 15, okay? So let's continue on verse 9, all right? He says, the Lord will establish you as his holy people, and He will promise, as he promised you on oath, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. Then all the people, all peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your ground in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. The Lord will open up the heavens, the storehouse. Get it? So heaven is God's barn. The Lord will open the heavens the storehouse of his bounty to send rain on your land in season. But in the King James Version, it says in his season. And to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but you will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. King James Version adds there, and you shall go above and not beneath. Right? And it says, if you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be on top and never at the bottom. All right. 14. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. However, right now they got to brace themselves. Okay. Now he's setting them up for something. King James Version said, but it shall come to pass, right? That's the however. If you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. Now notice how they're okay with the word overtake now, but they weren't okay with it in the beginning. And it's because people just hate a rainy day, y'all. So let's brace. First of all, this section is four times longer than the good stuff. What's coming up is four times longer than the blessings I just read. All right. And this, the reason for that is because this section is why we're really here. All right. Can you imagine? Wouldn't you hope that um, if you were Moses, that God could change his mind if you had done it before? And therefore know it's possible and you could possibly save a nation as many as the stars and numbers with these sermons. Think about that as we level with Moses in this moment, right? Because it's literally like, however, meaning it sounds awesome, right, you guys? Yeah, I thought so too. But uh, there's more good news, guys. And the good news is we're all going to die, right? So Moses continues from that place of like a doctor delivering a cancer diagnosis. All right. So let's continue. Verse 16. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed and the crops of your land and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. And you will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion and rebuke in everything you put your hand to 
until you are destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of the evil you have done in forsaking him. The Lord will plague you with diseases until he has destroyed you from the land you are entering to possess. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease, with fever and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought. The King James Version says with sword and with blasting. Now the NIV plays it safe, right? But the, the sword and blasting is important, right? The mention of war is very intentional. All right, and I'm going to explain why in a minute, but let me finish this verse. It says, with blight, which is a plant disease, all right, and mildew, which will plague you until you perish. It says, the sky over your head will be bronze and the ground beneath you iron, all right? Let me stop there for a second and give y'all some background. This is a super important note, right, to note the war language and to fully understand this verse, right? Because the dream of Nebuchadnezzar and the war statue of mixed metals is a, actually a timeline. The bronze or the brass is symbolic of the war tools of the Greek, all right? And the iron is the war tool of the Romans, right? So the verse is saying the two countries will rule over you, all right? That's a sermon for another day, but understand that actually you can actually go to my sermon on the Sabbath and get a little bit of that, all right? But uh, it, it's called the table is set. All right. But this sermon, actually, I wrote before that. All right. So let me keep going. <clears throat> it is it is um, it is for us to understand that the name of Jesus itself is Greek. Jesus is Greek. All right. That name. What we look up to in the sky over us has a Greek influence just by that alone. And then the ground beneath us is rampant with Roman um, empire that's mixed with the pagan um, to change our Sabbath to Sunday, right? To please those who worship the sun gods. The word Catholic means universal and they have an all accepting viewpoint. Your municipal buildings all look like the Roman Catholic churches because it's a this is a prophetic sermon and it's in line with God's unchanging word. So just take note of that, okay? Let's go to verse 24. The Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder. It will come down from the skies until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come at them from one direction, but flee from them in seven. And you will become a thing of horror, King James says, to be removed into. But it says, uh, into all kingdoms on earth. The 26th verse says, your carcasses will be food for all the birds and wild animals. All right. Animals are beasts. All right. Beasts are symbolic of kingdoms. Again, that's a sermon for another day, but it's worth noting. Okay. And there will be no one to frighten them away. The Lord will afflict you with madness, blindness, and confusion of the mind. The King James Version says, The Lord will smite thee with the botch of Egypt, which is boils, and with emeralds, which sounds exactly like it looks, emeralds, right? Emeralds. And with the scab. Scab itself is a disease of fruit. Judging from the multiple meanings of fruit, this is a, a point worth noting, right? Because verse 22 speaks of blight, which is also defined as a plant disease, okay? And with the itch, whereof thou canst not be healed. All right? So it's going to be horrible is what he's saying. 29. At the midday, he keep, he continues. He says, in the midday, you will grope, which means to search blindly in the middle of the day. Grope about like a blind person in the dark, meaning you will be lost for no reason. 
all right? In the middle of the day, you're going to be lost. There's light outside, but you can't see, all right? And you will be unsuccessful in everything you do. Day after day, you will be oppressed, which means kept in subservience or hardshiped by the unjust authority. I know some people like that right now, amen? And then it says you will be robbed, meaning cheated out of your valuables by force, right? It says in the King James Version, you will be spoiled, which means to diminish or destroy the value, your personal value, right? All right, with no one to rescue you. Verse 30, you will be pledged to be married to a woman, but another woman will take her and rape her. But I like the King James Version, which says lie with her because it, it means to me that you should plan to be deceived by your wife, which biblically is the church. The church is the wife of God, right? To lie with means to be deceiving in partnership with someone else. So I took that as your churches will join up with the enemy to lie to you or betray you. All right, let's keep going. You will build a house, which also means a family name, but you will not live in it. All right, so you will not reap the benefits from it. You will plant a vineyard. You will do all the work, right? But you will not even begin to enjoy its fruit. So this is Moses' poetic way of saying or being brutally honest about the actual task before them. This is Moses making them willful lambs for the slaughter because there is a kingdom coming that they will not get to see. Right, And they simply cannot see because they do not have the capacity to. Yet their death will bring about the promise as prophesied. So again, the good news is we're all going to die. Right? Because that re we're going to die so that redemption may come for all the people long after us. Right? So it's hard to grasp. So Moses is laying it on real thick. And he continues in verse 31. He says, your ox will be slaughtered before your eyes, be but you will eat none of it. Your donkey will be forcibly, King James Version says, violently taken from you, all right? And you will, and will not be returned. Your sheep will be given to your enemies and no one will rescue them. So Moses is saying, we will have it all and keep none of it. It all will be stolen so that God may return it. It's got to happen if it's going to happen. This is good news. God is going to have it taken from you just to give it back, right? So 33, I mean 32, all right? Your sons and daughters will be given to another nation, all right? Nations are people. And you will wear out your eyes watching for them day after day, powerless to lift a hand. A people that you do not know will eat what your land and labor produce, and you will have nothing but cruel oppression all your days. The sights you see will drive you mad. Right? King James Version says, you shout be mad. It's going to happen. Ain't no way out of it. You going to be crazy about this. All right? 35 says, the Lord will afflict your knees and legs with painful boils that cannot be cured, spreading from the soles of your feet to the top of your head. Right? Then there's a shift of embedded promise here. Because Moses shifts the tone to explain the bright side of their demise. In verse 36, he says, The Lord will drive you and the king you set over you to a nation unknown to you or your ancestors. There you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone. Let me take a second because this is important. 
because we remember the promise of Genesis 28, 15 is fresh in the audience's mind, right? They are aware of the promise that God made to Abraham and Jacob to remain with them and to bring them back to the land that he promised. So these Hebrews will be driven away from their father's land first to worship other gods. And this is another nod to the pagan mixes, right? The pagan religious mixes that the Roman Catholic Church, um, you know, the, the Roman Catholic Church's, uh, they did that switch of the Sabbath, uh, which is Saturday, to Sunday, right? And it's just one of the ways that Hebrews uh, become a, a portion of the prophecy. That's just one of the ways. But it says that they are driven into a land of wood and stone. And this is important too because wood is a symbol of human nature. It's easily corruptible and bendable, right? You can manipulate the wood, right? Stone also refers to character biblically because it's of one of high moral code, like Peter, because Peter's name is means rock, but he only received that name after his faith was shored up in the death of Jesus, right? He first started off as Simon, right? So after the death of Jesus, his faith was shored up. So this nation is one whose gods are founded in the character of the people who dwell there. So remember that for a second, because I'm going to come back to it, all right? Verse 37. You will become a thing of horror. King James says, you will become a thing of astonishment, which is great surprise. All right. A byword. And that means an outstanding example, meaning you'll become notorious. You'll be famous and well-known, but for a thing they call bad. Now, remember, if you're being called a thing that's bad from bad people, then you're a good thing. Right. You got to flip it and twist it a little bit to get there. But that's what they're saying. Right. And it says you'll be an object of ridicule among all the people, peoples where the Lord will drive you. So all the people there are going to call you things and joke about you and pick on you. But they're not the people of God. So who cares what they think about you, right? Their bad is your good. You're excellent, right? Here we go. 38. You will sow much seed in the field, but you will harvest little because the locust will devour it. You will plant vineyards and cultivate them, but you will not drink the wine or gather the grapes because the worms will eat them. You will have olive trees throughout your country, but you will not use the oil because the olives will drop off. You will have sons and daughters, but you will not keep, King James says, enjoy them because they will go into captivity. So this captivity, you guys, is, is necessary for the great sacrifice to come, right? So he continues to explain how their pain is going to breed a great gift to the world on behalf of God. This is why Moses can give this sermon in the face of those he knows is going to die. They're going to die without seeing the glory of the days ahead. But he knows that the glory is coming after their death. So he can speak on this and get through it, right? Verse 42 says, swarms of locusts will take over all your trees and the crops of your land. Right. The foreigners who reside among you will rise above you higher and higher, but you will sink lower and lower. So it means the people who also migrate to this land will seemingly do way better than you and you'll sink to the bottom rung of the social status. Right. This is one of the reasons why I believe brown people, black people that they call us, but brown people, people with uh, the gift of the sun in their skin are the people of God, because 
We sit here at the bottom rung of the social status while people migrate over into the Americas. And there is a Chinese food place on every corner. There is a, a, uh, a gas station run by, you know, Middle Eastern people. These are, these are stereotypical, yes, I understand, but it is the truth that we know to be true in many ways. 7-Elevens owned in mass. Dunkin' Donuts owned in mass by people who are not from this particular land. We're all not from this land, but that's that's basically the point that they're making. People who also migrate here are going to do better than you brown people. You understand? But let me keep going. Let me keep going. They will lend to you, but you will not lend to them. They will be the head and you will be the tail. All these curses will come on you. They will pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the Lord your God and observe the commands and decrees he gave you, right? So Moses is saying all of this is going to happen simply because you did not listen to the commandments. Simply because it's not because you're gay, right? That has nothing to do with the commandments, it's not because you lied and stole, which are part of the commandments, but it, they're on tablet two, which is for the way that we treat others, right? Tablet one is what God asked to be treated like. And we break all four of those commandments when we switch our Sabbath day, which is Saturday, to Sunday. Now, it's a subtle, but it's an effective swipe of the sword of the enemy across a whole, a, a whole nation's neck, right? A whole nation is plentiful as the stars in heaven. All right? Again, that's a separate sermon for another day. Y'all can go check it out when you have time. But uh, please, if you have time, the table is set is a necessary sermon for all to hear. And God told me to tell them all with that. So make sure you go listen to that. Take the time out. Let it play while you're driving in your car. I know it's long. All right? Let's keep going. 46. They will become a sign and a wonder to you and your descendants forever, these other people. And this means that once the great day comes and we all sit with our forevers intact, right? We will speak of the great loss of people from the simple thing that they did not do. And we're going to marvel over the testimonies and the day that the sky cracked open to fix the problem, right? The believers and the descendants of the Hebrews will say things like, wow, y'all had everything. And God literally let you get robbed and oppressed until you died. Just so we can sit here and say that it happened to you. So that we can avoid it ever happening again. Wow. Y'all were pretty important. Right? So Moses is almost done here. And he's probably, you know, got his eyebrow raised. And he's probably going into reflective mode. Speaking in his internal thoughts. In reflective but still prophetic words. And he says out loud, because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity, therefore in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and dire poverty, will, you will serve the enemies the Lord sends against you. So again, the Lord sending this enemy is another nod to the fact that this has got to happen if what God promises is going to happen. Right. Moses is reminding them that this is what God wants for you in order for it to bring the world a redemptive glory. Right. All right. So he will put an iron. Iron means Roman. Roman, Roman Catholic, Roman church, your municipality buildings, the government's Roman influence. OK, he will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. OK. 
49, the Lord will bring a nation, meaning a people, against you from far away from the ends of the earth like an eagle. Let me stop here. Meaning, when he says the ends, he means the outside edge of the earth. They come. So if they come from the edge of the earth, they don't come from in the earth, which means they come from outside of the earth. So if they come from outside of the earth and they come with the Lord, then he's talking about a swarm of angelic beings. All right. That's why he talks about the eagle in the next line, because they are winged. They're winged beings coming with him. Okay. Yeshua is the eagle. All right. The devil counterfeits this truth by placing the eagle on money and making it the most the mascot of the enemy land. Again, that's another sermon for another day, all right? But it says, the Lord will bring a nation of people, right, against you from from far away, from the ends of the earth, like an eagle, swooping down. Down from where? Heaven. If you're coming down, then you're swooping from up, right? Swooping down from heaven. A nation of people whose languages you don't understand, all right? And it's a fierce-looking nation of people without respect for the old or pity for the young. So these angels are coming. They don't have respect for the old. They don't care how young you are. They want to know who loves the Lord, right? Who loves God? That's what they're coming to do. They're coming to bring it. They're fierce-looking, meaning they came not to play. They got their weapons in hand. They are trying to tear this thing up and fix it, though, right? Oh, God. 51, it says, and they, right? It says they, but the King James Version says, and he shall. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about Yeshua, right? He shall, or he will, devour the young of your livestock and the crops of your land until you are destroyed. They, meaning him and his angels, will leave you no grain, no new wine or olive oil nor any calves of your herds or lambs or of your flocks until you are ruined. They, all right, him and his angels, will lay siege to all the cities throughout your land until the high fortified walls in which you trust fall down. Stop here, right? Trust, the word trust is a financial term and a, one of character, all right? This is a moment where the wood and stone reference returns and is supported. Remember, I told y'all, our character is defined by where we put our money. So this wood and stone character reference is important. Our character is defined by where we put our money. On our money, it states, in God we trust, which is in financial terms, obligating the money to God. All right? And you choose your God with how you spend it. To trust is to believe in a thing. So the sentence in completed transaction is, in God we believe in these Louis Vuitton red, red bottoms. Now, that's another sermon for another day because the Red Bottom Society is disgusting. But let me keep on going, okay? Trusts are also assets you hold for a beneficiary. So even in another definition, using it as that term, right, the sentence would read, in God we hold property for, all right? So just keep that in mind, all right? Your money is how your character is defined, all right? And they, these these beings and Jesus, will besiege all the cities throughout the land the Lord your God has given you. All right? So they gave it to you, and then he comes back and he sets it ablaze. He takes it down. All right? 53. 
because of the suffering your enemy will inflict on you during the siege, you will eat the fruit of the womb. All right. Remember, the stuff that they destroyed is all of the stuff that was stolen from you. You don't get to eat your food, your lamb, your ox, your fruit, your olive oil. You don't get to eat it anyway. They've been eating it. They've been taking your work. They've been taking what you put into this land. So when it says that your God, J Jesus, Yeshua, Mashiach, the Lion of Judah, when it says he's coming down like an eagle and taking over your stuff, it's because he's fighting your battle. He's getting your stuff back. All right. He's He's laying waste to the city that while they're fattening themselves off of your stuff, right? The stuff that you didn't get to eat. He's not coming at you, okay? All right, let me just make sure y'all understand God loves you all the way, every day, okay? So let's keep going. Because we're on 53, verse 53, and we're almost done with this, all right? Verse 53 says, because of the suffering your enemy will inflict on you during the siege, you will eat the fruit of the womb. All right. Meaning eat, meaning you will consume and destroy your children. All right. The flesh, the flesh defined as the soft substance of the body of a living animal. That's what flesh is defined as the soft substance of a living animal. So what is the flesh of a fleshless living being? I'm not going to answer that for you. You can use it where necessary, but understand that. All right. So let's reread this. Because of the suffering your enemy will inflict on you during the siege, you will eat the fruit of your womb, the flesh of the sons and daughters the Lord your God has given you. The fruit of your womb is the spirit of your sons and daughters. The flesh of the spirit is your soul. Okay? Keep going. Even the most gentle and sensitive man among you will have no compassion on his own brother or the wife he loves or his surviving children. And he will not give to one of them any of the flesh of his children that he is eating. All right. It will be all that he has left because of the suffering your enemy will inflict on you during the siege of all your cities. So the mistreatment that he has is all that he has left because of the abuse and the power that's in the land. The mistreatment of his children, the, the, mis, the miseducation of them, the damning them, telling them to go ahead and worship on the Sunday because they're afraid of what will happen to them, damning their souls from here on out because of it. That's what they're talking about. You consumed your flesh, you ruined your children because you were trying to protect them instead of having faith. Understand? It's a lot, y'all, but it's all in there, okay? Let's go. 56. The most gentle and sensitive woman among you, so sensitive and gentle that she would not venture to touch the ground with the sole of her feet, will begrudge the husband she loves and her own son or daughter. The afterbirth of her womb. All right. So essentially, they're saying the thing that was once con that once connected her to her children will be severed by this thing. She'll no longer be able to relate to her kids. Right. During this time, how many mothers right now are having a hard time relating to their children? All right. The time is right now. The end of the world is near. All right. Let's keep going. All right. The afterbirth of her womb and the children she bears for in her dire need, she intends to eat or destroy them secretly because of the suffering from your enemy. All right. Your enemy will inflict on you during the siege of your cities. All right. So this is during the time that Yeshua and his angels are going ham over everything. All right. And the persecution comes down even stronger on us. And during that time of persecution, we are sitting here 
trying to save our children by telling them to do the wrong things. And by that, we eat them, meaning we consume them and destroy them. That's what that's about, okay? So as the return draws nearer, your enemies are going to inflict more suffering and to, 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 to get around that suffering. You're going to try to protect yourselves and your children. The most gentle of you, because of your love. That's why he's talking about the gentle. Because of your love. You're doing it because of your love. But you're not trusting. You don't have the faith. And for that, your children end up dismissed. All right? Let's go. Let's keep going. 58. If you do not carefully follow all the words of this law which are written in this book, and you do not revere the, this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, listen to me now. Notice how Moses' love for God has not shifted, though he has made, no, he has been made aware of all the things that are coming in this prophetic display. Notice how the unpronounceable name of God is still in exaltation in this moment. All right, never to be confused with the grave pain that is about to come their way. Moses still understands this is good news, even still. All right, because the will of God is a good thing. Okay. 59, the Lord will send, or in King James says, make thy fearful plagues. It also says wonderful in the King James Version. On you and your descendants, harsh and prolonged disasters and lingering illnesses. He will bring on you all the diseases of Egypt that you dreaded, and they will cling. But the King James Version says, cleave unto, all right? Cleave unto you. Now, cleave. Unto is different from cleave. Cleave is to split. To split into, to stick to, okay? To split into means to stick to, all right? And Deuteronomy 4, chapter 4 and 4, it's a good thing, right? In Genesis 2, 24, it's a good thing. So my understanding that in this siege, the Lord will make the, the miracle signs and wonders of Egypt come and branch out onto you as a good thing, setting you apart from the carefree comfort of those who are not the people uh, of, of God, right? We will be identifiable by our suffering in wondrous ways. The pain that we receive is how they will know and all will know that we have the mark of God on us. That's what it's saying, okay? We're going to take all the pain and suffering and that's how God will know and you will know and you will recognize your brothers and sisters in God because they're suffering alongside you. All right. The Lord will also bring on you every kind of sickness and disaster not recorded in this book of law until you are destroyed. So God is going to kill us. All right. He's saying and this is awesome. All right. So that God's will be done. All right. And it says you who were as numerous as the stars in the sky will be left, but few in number. Because you did not obey the Lord your God. So we will be few, but we will be mighty. Because remember, the siege that comes is the one out of those from the edge of the earth. And oh, how I want to be in that number. When the saints go marching in. Oh, when the saints go marching in. Right? Marching. Marching. Where are the saints marching? The saints are marching to the siege. Do you know how you become a saint that goes marching in? If you look it up. To become a saint, you, you have to be dead at least five years. See? So the good news is that we're all going to die. You have to die in order to be in the numbers. All right? Let's keep going. Just as it pleased the Lord to make you prosper and increase in number, so it will please him to ruin and destroy you. Do you now see what's happening? 
Now that Moses has made his point, he speaks towards the conclusion of the sermon, right? And it's like, it made him happy to give you everything. And it makes him happy to see you suffer because by you suffering, he knows you're his because he knows you made the choice in him. He knows you chose him, right? So imagine he's like, right. So listen, y'all, I'm back. To, I'm back to coach Moses mode, right? He says, you will be uprooted from the land you were you are entering to possess. So we getting ready to go in here and take over. But you're going to be uprooted from it. All right, I'm going to prepare y'all. 64, he says, then the Lord will scatter you among all nations from one end of the earth to the other. You will or you shout worship the other gods. You're going to do it. Gods of wood and stone. All right, so gods that define your beliefs and your character and your faith. That's what you're going to go worship with that money you spend. We're going to know who you are. All right. Which neither you nor your ancestors have known. None of y'all know these people. This is all new to you, Hebrews. This is all going to be new to you. Right. But it is your destiny. All right. 65, it says, among those nations, you will find no repose. Right. No justice. No peace. Right. No resting place for the sole of your feet. There the Lord will give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing and a despairing heart. God is willing it this way. It's got to be this way if it's going to happen. All right, 66, he said, you will live in constant suspense filled with dread both at night and day. Never sure of your life. 67 says, in the morning you will say, if only it were evening and in the evening... If only it were morning because the terror that will fill your hearts and the sights that your eyes will see. Mm -mm -mm. All right. He's saying you're going to be like, make it dark because I hate it. What, what I see when the light is there, when the light of day is, then you're going to be like, oh my God, give me some light because I'm so scared of the dark. Right. So notice that while Moses is yet, Moses yet speak, um, sorry. Notice that while yet Moses speaks explicitly on how they suffer on the earth in the days to come, he does not retract heaven from them. He does not place them in hell, does he? He does not place them to a death eternal. No, because that is not what is coming for them. Their sacrificed lives breed the great reward that we all reap through Yeshua Mashiach, our Savior. We gained from their absence, right? We got to be willing to lose so much, to plant and not harvest, to be plentiful and stolen from, to endure oppression all our days so that our children's children, who may never know our name, may come to know the God who brought us out of Egypt with great miracle signs and wonders, to be able to worship and praise him alongside us who have witnessed his love in full, right? And finally, this is the greatest part. This is the best part. This is the end of the chapter. This is verse 68. This is the one you put on your heart and take with you. Here you go. Here you go, right here. 68. The Lord will send you back. So remember, this is where you come from. Whatever he says next is where you're coming from, where you're freed from, hey? Okay, the Lord will send you back in ships to Egypt on a journey. I said you should never make again. Me, Moses. I told y'all would y'all would never go back, but you're going to go back, right? And he says, there you will offer yourselves for sale. You're going to be so humble. You'll say, yes, I'll work for you. You'll work for the enemy. So humble, so glad to be alive. You're going to offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves. But, but, glory to God, but no one will buy you. Do you understand that? 
No one will buy you even if you offer yourself because God has set you free. The redemption is complete and God loves you. So while Moses is in a tough spot, this is great news. This is the start of a thing that's inevitably glorious. And it begins with a great oppression of the Hebrews whose suffering brings about our redemption. But the good news is, y'all, we're all gonna die. Die in spirit, die in flesh, die out. We all gotta die. That we all might live eternally. And that's the best news I could give y'all for this week. The Lord bless you and keep you, lay his countenance upon you. I love and appreciate you guys for listening. We'll see you next time for the Book of Joe. Glory to your name, Father. The Book of Joe is but a portion of a family ministry called the Black Love Smiths. To follow the Black Love Smiths, you can do so at Black Love Smiths on Instagram or Facebook. To get into contact with Joe, please email bookofjoe at gmail.com. God bless you.